0: I'd like to welcome everyone to The Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of 15 books and counting, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg, is our host each and every week. She is the subject of a documentary. She is the author of so many different uh, uh, styles and, uh, and, and uh, subjects. Uh, she's, uh, she's amazing, and uh, every week uh, we get a, a different feel on on a different subject sometimes more than one subject and uh without further ado doc how are you i'm doing fine thanks i hope you are too i, I am and uh it's uh, it's always great to uh, hear your latest thoughts uh what is your latest thought
1: uh well my my latest uh interest is what's going on here in texas we've got a race a very hot race going uh between two Democrats, uh, Colin Alfred, uh, Alred, I want to call him Alfred, Colin Alred and, and Roland Gutierrez yeah. uh, against Ted Cruz. And so I'm gonna talk about that and some related issues about that. Uh, and then I'm gonna shift completely and talk about a new discovery made by, by a scientist here in San Antonio about the um, about Saturn's largest moon which I think is uh, one of the largest moons in the solar system um, and uh, talk about that for a while instead so get completely away from politics
0: yeah that's great uh, listen it's a, it's a nice change of pace uh, it, right in the middle of the show uh, let's talk about the cruise election to start with uh, it, it's it's fascinating what's going on you, you say Alred uh, and you and you want to say uh, Alfred because it looks like that uh, visually when you take a quick look, uh, it it looks an awful lot like Alfred. Uh, so uh, I I don't know if that's an advantage disadvantage, but I don't uh, I I don't think it matters. I I think uh, once somebody gets the nomination, they'll go to work on the name recognition.
1: Right. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, here we go. Yeah. The whole nation knows Ted Cruz either as a true blue Trump lover and stalwart MAGA member or as the guy who skipped out of Texas back in 2021 during the Uri Arctic wave of sub-freezing weather when Texas's electrical grid failed because it wasn't weatherized and froze um, along with uh, somewhere between 300 and 800 Texans. Ted spent that stressful week in the Bahamas with his family. There are two very distinct contenders vying to replace him, uh, Texas State Representative Roland Gutierrez and U.S. Representative Colin Alred. Before I go on, I need to apologize for persistently mispronouncing his name the last time I spoke of him nearly a year ago. Yeah. To tell the truth. He had been keeping such a low profile back then that I was barely aware of his existence and didn't remember his proper his name properly. I hadn't voted for him, of course, since he represents District thirty two, which is Dallas, and I'm a long way from Dallas. At a hasty glance I thought that the more I thought I saw the more familiar name Alfred, not Alred and I continued to misname him throughout my talk. My apologies. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've come to know him a little better. In that talk months ago, I praised his opponent, Roland, uh, Roland Gutierrez, for his concern for and continuing care of the uh, bereaved and shocked families in Uvalde, uh, who... Um, There was a a massacre on May 24th and 22, a massacre of 18 students and two teachers. Gutierrez manifested his concern by visiting those constituents repeatedly. He participated in their town meetings. He fought for new laws restricting the availability of assault weapons in Texas um, and... Uh, He even appeared before the U.S. Congress to make the case and doubtless influenced them when they passed the gun legislation last year. Representative Colin Alred is a, a civil rights attorney who prides himself on being a bipartisan leader, critical of President Biden's border policies, and who is not demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. Texas has consistently refused to accept Medicaid for its poorest citizens, and Alred does not question that position, nor does he back Medicare for all. Sometimes it would seem that rather than being truly bipartisan, he's a man who goes along to get along. Gutierrez is an immigration attorney. He has been a strong democratic voice in the state legislature since 2008 and has made it clear to all that he considers Alred too far to the right. He's in favor of the work Democrats in the U.S. Congress and Senate are doing on reforming border policies and general immigration reform. In Texas, he fought for and succeeded in adding a teacher wage raise clause to a bill that the Republican-dominated Senate passed. However, the the House stripped it out of the bill and teachers in our state still haven't received a a raise since 2019. If he is elected to Congress, he would call for a ceasefire in Gaza and universal Medicare in Texas, as well as in the entire country. Unlike the undemonstrative Alred, Gutierrez is passionate about and fights vigorously for them. He has also called out the Republicans for harshly criticizing president biden for doing nothing about the border situation while voting against biden's every plan to improve it they want the situation to remain dire or even to degenerate further so they can use it as a club to beat biden uh, with for doing nothing nothing unquote quote unquote the two men faced each other on january 27th so that's just a few days ago in a U.S. Senate primary debate. Gutierrez believes that Alred recently betrayed the president, and I'm quoting him. We don't need to have Democrats throwing our president under the bus, Mm -hmm. as happened last week. We don't need to adopt Trump and Cruz's causes. He continued, the problem with carrying on on Cruz and former uh, President Donald Trump's message of chaos is they don't want to fix the problem. They just want to scare us each and every day. Gutierrez pointed out that Alred had voted earlier in January for a GOP resolution that says that Biden's open border policies, end quotes, have uh, created a national security and public safety crisis along the southwest border. So uh, Alred voted for that. Uh, as one of 14 Democrats, three from Texas, who backed that Republican resolution. He uh, also um, attacked attacked Gutierrez's firebrand approach, saying that people want their politicians to get things done, and I'm quoting him, instead of being a partisan lightning rod that will continue this divisiveness, unquote. Alred defended his position, saying he was supporting Texas voters who overwhelmingly uh, see the border as a problem because of the huge number of illegal immigrants last month and continuing. He saw the resolution as simply asking Congress whether or not they think the Biden administration has done enough to stem the tide. I've been saying for months that I don't think they have. The White House needed this, and now we are seeing it, he said. Uh, Along with Gutierrez and Alred, seven other candidates are on the Democratic ticket for the primary on March 5th here in Texas. In-person early voting starts on February 10th, so it's coming up pretty soon. In the polls, Alred is at the moment 30 points ahead of Gutierrez, however. He has accumulated substantial campaign funds already. He's in a good position. He's already in Congress, after all. Uh, However, even so, Cruz is heavily favored to win win here, according to the latest polls. Gutierrez became Alred's top challenger thanks to his advocacy for the Uvalde families and for gun restrictions. Many here in Texas fear that he is too close to the position, (coughs) excuse me, the position on guns advocated by Beto O'Rourke, who also supported banning assault weapons during his presidential campaign. (coughs) Candidate Mark Monsala, a former district attorney here in Texas, thinks that anyone talking about taking away guns is on thin ice. Without crossover Republicans, they're doomed, he said. Ain't nobody going to take away my guns, he said, voicing the position of most voting Texans. But all partisan, now here I am going into a rampage about assault weapons, so brace yourself. Yeah, well, good. All partisans of assault weapons in the hands of 18- or 21-year-old shooters should remember Uvalde. Assault weapons may symbolize, stand for America, especially Texas, at patriotism to you. They might stand for your fury against the North, the Union, for having suppressed The culture of the South, the Confederacy, with its sweet, genteel values based on a refinement built on brutal slave labor. You might fear that the demonic Democrats might, as you've been warned by the uh, uh, NRA, that they will come flying in on black helicopters in black SS uniforms and (laughs) jackboots to take away your freedom and your guns while secretly you'd like to be wearing those uniforms yourselves. Assault weapons might symbolize the lone star independence of the Republic of Texas back in the 19th century, the largest and greatest state in the Union, but sadly now second best to Alaska in size. Perhaps you wish... They could be used at the border to keep out all those thieves, smugglers, and rapists as Donald Trump characterized them and said he would do keep them out uh, as presidents but didn't achieve, despite inhumane methods like se- separating parents and children and the stay in Mexico order. However, all chest-thumping aside, I want you to look at reality, not nostalgic myths. I warn you now, the word picture I'm about to paint is gross and graphic in the extreme. There is nothing romantic or or grand about a shooting with an assault weapon. Here's the truth, if you can take it. You see a nine- or ten-year-old little girl, her face entirely blown away, leaving a mass of chopped and shredded meat, eye tissue, hair, brain pulp teeth and bone fragments her clothing is soaked with her blood and and flesh fragments and she is only recognizable by the shoes she is wearing wow a sight like this should persuade you that such weapons do not belong in the homes and hands of ordinary citizens or on the streets of our state or in the country as a whole Neither O'Rourke nor Gutierrez advocate that guns for hunting and self-protection be taken away. Only those that reduce the target to a bloody pulp. Guns of war. By now you may be gasping for relief from politics. (laughs) So let us turn to something completely different and cast our eyes into the distance, the far distance. As a student in college, I took a course in astronomy, mainly to avoid the math re- requirement. Oh, wow. I became fascinated by the subject, and I still follow it wherever I, and whenever I can. Here in San Antonio, we have something to brag about. Xingting Ting Yu, an assistant professor of physics and astronomy at the University of Texas at San Antonio, has advanced an astonishing discovery about Titan, the largest of the moons orbiting the planet Saturn. She and her team have proposed an explanation to solve a celestial mystery. In 2019, you began studying the so-called magic islands that seem to appear randomly and disappear on Titan. Using data from NASA's Cassini-Huygens mission and her own laboratory modeling, Yu's team aimed to explain the mystery of the vanishing islands on the moon that she calls, and that's Saturn's moon, of course, that she calls one of the coolest planetary bodies in the solar system. Scientists are interested in Titan because among all the moons in the entire solar system, it is the only one with a dense atmosphere, denser than Earth's, far denser than Mars's. Also, it is the only object orbiting the sun other than Earth with seas, rivers, and lakes. Therefore, they think it is a better option than Mars for future human settlements. Titan even has seasons but it would take a hardy settler to go there it has temperatures as low as minus 290 degrees and its yeah and its atmosphere is composed of 95% nitrogen and 5% methane with an atmospheric pressure more than twice that of earth as the express news article uh, reports and i'm quoting them uh, that would make walking on Titan's surface feel like being 50 feet underwater. At the same time, with only 14% of Earth's gravitational pull, people would bounce along like the Apollo astronauts on the moon. Uh, that unquote. And I'm just wondering if those gravitational bounces would be canceled out by the atmospheric pressure, though. But instead of focusing on human colonization, Yu has concentrated on solving the mystery of the magic-appearing and disappearing islands, a phenomenon first observed in 2014. They published their findings this month in the academic journal Geophysical Research Letters, where the team concluded that the islands are, and I'm quoting them now, their article— are likely floating chunks of porous icy organic solids instead of gas bubbles, waves, or suspended particles as scientists previously thought. Cassini's radar, and this is the Cassini missions, radar images of Titan's topography captured the mysterious bodies in the moon's lakes Dark shades represent smooth terrain, while brighter spots depict rough surfaces and changes in elevation that catch and reflect light from nearby Saturn. The islands appear as bright spots in the otherwise dark lakes. To quote you, and I'm quoting her, Uh in one image we see an island kind of appearing at the end of the island chain— and then we take another image, say, a few weeks later, and the island is gone. We don't know what what they are. Following true scientific procedure, Hugh's team proposed several hypotheses for solving that mystery and chose one to investigate. They studied how materials would float on lakes of methane and ethane in a higher-pressure atmosphere. The lower surface tension of the compounds in the lakes would make it harder for the solids to float. They were looking for something that would float for the duration that Titan's islands would appear from a few days to a few weeks. They considered surface tension, the chemical properties of the lakes and particles and atmospheric effects. The lakes would contain nitrogen, methane and heavier elements yet to be identified and probably include water, H2O. Most of you's information comes from the Cassini-Huygens mission. And here I'm quoting from NASA's information about the mission, which began 18 years ago. And I quote NASA now. For more than a decade, NASA's Cassini spacecraft shared the wonders of Saturn and its family of ice moons, of icy moons. It took us to astounding worlds where methane rivers, and this is talking about Titan, uh, were uh, astounding world, worlds where methane rivers run into a, a methane sea, and where jets of ice and gas are blasted, are blasting material into space from a liquid water ocean that might harbor the ingredients for life. And that's the end of quote. Cassini was one of the most ambitious efforts ever mounted in planetary exploration. It was a joint endeavor of NASA, the European Space Agency, and the Italian Space Agency. Cassini was a sophisticated robotic spacecraft sent to study Saturn and its complex system of rings and moons, in great detail. Cassini carried a probe called Huygens to the Saturn system. The probe was named for uh, Christian Huygens, a 17th century Dutch astronomer and mathematician who 500 years ago first studied Saturn and its rings. The probe built uh, by the European Space Agency parachuted to the surface of Saturn's largest moon, Titan, in January 2005, the most distant landing to date in our solar system. Huygens returned spectacular images and other science results during a -a two-and-a-half-hour descent through Titan's hazy atmosphere before coming to rest amid rounded cobbles of ice on a floodplain damp with liquid methane. Cassini completed its initial 4-year mission in June 2008 and earned two uh, mission extensions that enabled the team to delve even deeper into Saturn's mysteries. Key discoveries during his 13 years at Saturn, 13 years, included a global ocean with strong indications of hydrothermal activity. Uh, on Escalados, which is another of the moons, and liquid methane seas on Titan. The mission ended on September 15, 2017. The data is so abundant that further studies will doubtless reveal much more information about Saturn and its rings and moons, other, because other than our own Earth, it is one of the most beautiful of the planets, the most complex and still full of mysteries to be solved, and that is my two-part uh, offering for today.
0: Wow, yeah, I mean, uh, contrast is right, and uh, <clears throat> you know, the first one, uh, you closed uh, your first, uh, your first thought with a very powerful image, but a, a very honest image. I, I don't think you embellished anything. I mean, you just you said how it is, and when you gave a description of a 10-year-old being mangled by assault weapons that, I, I don't know why in the world, they are on the market in the first place, Right. But certainly why some deranged uh, child uh, could, could get it so easily. Um, I think, you know, quite frankly, that people have to start talking more candidly as, uh, as uh, uncomfortable and as uh, as sick as it may it makes some people i mean um what what you did is you summed up reality and uh, yeah. it, it's it's reality more than any video game than any uh a, any uh, horror movie this is reality a 10 year old being mangled by assault weapons is 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 reality it's it's terrible mm. and it's happened and when you uh when you look the other way on it, you're just bound to repeat it. And yes. I'm not saying there's an easy solution, but there's certainly... Uh, it, it starts with uh, not allowing uh, not allowing children, uh, you know, ba- basically children to get assault wi- uh, uh, weapons. Uh, also, try to explain to me why anybody needs an assault weapon um, other than somebody that's, uh, uh, that's going into combat to do exactly what that... Uh, what that assault ru- uh, weapon did to that ten-year-old to mangle another human being and yeah. I'm not saying they shouldn't have it uh, what I'm saying is that they, they should be the only ones to have it the the armed forces and and people that are engaged in that type uh, but you you summed up in, in a very harsh language uh, the reality that we're living in now and it's it's amazing to me
1: yes well you don't hear uh, our our uh, media are afraid. <laughs> it seems to me. Right. They push foot around what assault weapons actually do. So uh, instead of horrifying people uh, by uh, by telling us what kind of damage those weapons do, you just mention the fact that people are injured or killed, <laughs> and. Um, and uh, so kids get the idea that uh, they can kill a whole lot of people um, in in 10 minutes um, and not suffer any damage themselves. Uh, but I can't imagine the toll it would take on the person if, if the shooter didn't commit suicide. And, and uh, furthermore, I'm wondering if the suicides aren't in part regret. And horror at what they have done once they see what they have done. Once they're in the presence of all that blood and gore and shredded flesh and scattered teeth and so on. I mean, uh, it must be horrendous. And uh, I don't know how uh, you could psychologically survive knowing that you did that.
0: And uh, the fact that it's done so often is uh, is is mind-blowing i think i've said this before but there was a song there is a song uh called i don't like mondays and it was written back in the 70s and it was about a uh, a, a young girl who uh, uh you know had a meltdown and she took uh, her father's rifle and um and i didn't even know that it was an assault rifle it was a rifle uh, with different rounds, and she went on the playground, and she uh, she slaughtered her classmates. And the, uh, the story, uh, you know, made it, I, I think it was Cleveland High School, but it had nothing to do with Cleveland. Maybe it was in San Diego, but uh, it was called Cleveland, you know, I guess the town or the uh, village of, of Cleveland, California, or, and I could be wrong, but the, the point is Bob Geldof, who became famous later on for uh, "We Are the World" and uh, and the you know the uh, the effort to get musicians behind um, uh, Africa, you know, when uh, Ethiopia uh, Ethiopia was in a, a terrible famine, <laughs> to say the least, a terrible famine. Um, he he ended up being knighted, and he ended up being um, uh, you know getting the Nobel uh, uh, Prize. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and all types of things for his efforts on on fundraising towards uh, towards Ethiopia. But Bob Geldof, right. prior to that, his claim to fame was uh, a band called the Boomtown Rats, and they're the ones who wrote and and sang the song, I Don't Like Mondays. And it was kind mm-hmm. of a tongue-in-cheek, and I, I invite everyone to kind of listen to it, and, and you too, Doc. Um, yes. It, it was called I Don't Like Mondays Because When She Was Caught, and she was arrested by the police. They asked her why she had done this, and she uttered something. And I'm paraphrasing something along the the lines of "I don't like Mondays," but it was <laughs> the song was done tongue in cheek, and it was a um, it was a, you know horrendous um, situation. And nobody was quite offended by it, including myself, for uh, for these uh, for all of these years, because it was a. It was an isolated issue it was an unusual issue and it was very dark and it was a dark subject and here you know this eventual Nobel uh, Prize winner um, and, uh, and and the sir he became a uh, he was from Great Britain uh, uh, sir Bob Geldof um, you know his claim to fame was that song and uh, mm. first of all, nowadays you wouldn't be able to play that song on on, on the radio; it would be protested left and right. Um, and secondly, it was um, uh, it was uh, it, it was uh, completely uh, you know harsh and and it took the wrong tone towards a very tragic uh, moment. But w- mm. what I'm saying is that was the late 70s. The next time we really heard about uh, mass killing. Of children on uh, on school grounds, it was it was Columbine probably, and yeah. you know that was in the '90s. And Michael Moore did a wonderful job, harsh but wonderful job on um, on Bowling for Columbine, which was a documentary, award winning documentary. And he talked about it. And I remember seeing that in the theater and being teary eyed, and everybody in the uh, in the movie theater just being blown away buy it and uh it was brilliantly done but it was soon after that that uh uh, that so many of these started happening i I don't even know how many we've had in the last year doc how many school shootings but certainly uh you know it wasn't the isolated incident that i don't like mondays uh, that subject Uh, brought up and again I encourage everybody to Google that when they get an opportunity and then Bowling for Columbine um, and the the students at Columbine uh, mowed down there their fellow um, their fellow students uh, right before graduation about two months before um, you know graduation Uh, but since that point something happened and I don't know whether it's the publicity I don't I, I don't know whether it's the media Uh, But, you know, you brought up a very interesting point in your description at the, uh, you know, at the end of your your first, you know, your part one. You gave a Mm -hmm. very harsh take on it. You don't hear that on the news. uh, But instead, you hear, you know, about the shootings and sometimes you hear the names. And I think they're trying to get away from giving the the shooter's name. uh, But, of course, it always leaks out and always gets out. And uh, and they get their fifteen minutes of fame, as Andy Warhol once said. But something's happened between these forty some odd years that has made this commonplace. And I, I I don't know what it is. It's it's definitely worth uh, discussion. But I uh, I I do think if if the news would take the time out and and explain it in dark serious. Uh, brutal detail uh, uh, about a 10 year old uh, being mashed to death by uh, by these assault weapons maybe we would have a different a- approach but for some reason things are just getting worse and worse
1: yes well I think those 15 minutes of fame is is uh, something that must attract uh, kids that's that's one thing they can be famous they they think they can be immortalized um, as one who <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's become so commonplace uh, that even there, uh, they're wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, not, not only that, it seems to be the channel through which they can express their anger, um, their, uh, their depression and their anger at the world, um, which is caused by uh, bullying or parental abuse or something. Um and uh, human beings tend to strike out at others and often innocent bystanders when when they get furious and angry. Uh, uh, so uh, the fact that it has become a it's like a meme. Uh, it's something that's omnipresent. Oh, I can I can get that uh, get hold of that assault. Uh, rifle that assault weapon, and go to school and kill a bunch of people. Uh, and I'll feel better after that. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, amazing. And, and, of course, they usually end up killing themselves. And as I as say, I think once they realize what they've done, once they see the damage, the horror of it, um, then they realize that they have done something irredeemable. And so they kill themselves.
0: I think you have. A, I think you have. You have it nailed, um, and you know maybe even hearing that, uh, you know maybe that would stop some of these. Instead of giving them name recognition or, or giving them any kind of glory, uh, you you focus on the horror of of what has happened, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe you discourage one or two of these uh, little maniacs from from doing something like that. And you know we really are, you know, at a loss. Um, uh, you know, if we're not going to, if we if we got to be afraid to uh, to say out loud to take uh, take assault weapons away, um, you know, boy, I, we, we and we've got to be afraid to give a gruesome detail of what happened to, you know, in this case, in your example, a ten year old uh, girl. Um, then I I don't know I don't know that we're not playing in the hands of uh, the uh, of the shooters and of, of the violence. Uh, you brought up a great point. I, I, I never thought of it before, but maybe so much of the suicide, uh, you know, like if they thought to themselves, hey I'm going to be I'm going to be famous and I'm going to enjoy my my fame, I might have to enjoy it from uh, a prison cell, but I'm going to be known to the world. Uh, and uh, let me do it when they actually see the reality of what was in their mind maybe just that just you know them seeing the fame uh, if you want to call it the notoriety I should call it Um, maybe maybe you're right once someone once somebody gets to the uh, uh, the point where they actually have done it and they see it uh, maybe that's where we're uh, you know uh, w- where we could make some uh, make some progress too by describing what they did and you know even a monster, even a monster um, would have to uh, pause before they would uh, uh, relish in the idea of killing a ten year old uh, in such a brutal way killing a ten year old at all, but uh, certainly in such a uh, such a brutal um, heartless way.
1: Yes, that's <laughs> right. To reduce a human being in a second uh, to a, a mass of of flesh and bone and and high tissue and brain and <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's hideous to to think of it, um. And and uh, those who have actually seen it, like the police, uh, I'm I'm wondering about their mental states too, because especially those police in Uvalde who waited 77 minutes to go in and then they they got in there and realized that they could have prevented some of that
0: yeah uh, amazing uh switching gears to to titan to uh, the, the largest moon yes. of, of jupiter um it it hits home yeah. as you as you say all of this and uh you pointed out that you were a um, a young woman in uh, in college you were a student college student uh, when you took the astronomy uh, course, I, I can't imagine that while you and your your fellow students, your fellow co-eds were, were listening to the professor talk about out of space, that uh, you would think that in 2024, there are at least three billionaires, uh, Elon Musk, um, Richard Branson, and, and Jeff Bezos, who are working towards making space flight available mm-hmm. to the public and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just amazing to me uh i i mean could you could you take yourself back to those days as a young florence in in college uh it, would you ever have dreamt that one day we would be uh uh, we would be it would be available to us well if you have the the right amount of money at this point but that it would be re- available to us um i it, it just sounds like it, it sounded like science fiction and it still quite course, does yes. to so many
1: people yes it may come come to pass but it is it ain't hospitable out there no <laughs> not to the Titan, sure. not to tighten <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, par- I, I went to Park College, which is now Park University, just outside of Kansas City, and uh, it had uh, a, it had a um, telescope, an observatory up on top of the uh, hill there, uh, overlooking the Missouri River, uh, and uh, we all got to look at Saturn. Uh, we got up at uh, when Saturn was in. Uh, Apogee I think you call it Which is the closest that it was Going to come to, uh, to This planet uh, We got up at 3 in the morning and <laughs> In the middle of winter And processed up the hill to uh, uh, To the observatory And stood in line so that We could look at Saturn the Saturn's rings And its moons um, And it was a tremendous Thrill for us Because it brought it right up close um, you could see uh, detail on Titan. Uh, wow. And, uh, and anyway, so it, it wasn't that difficult to imagine going there because you felt as though you could reach out and touch it as you were looking through the telescope. But, uh, but it, uh, it hooked me on astronomy, I must say. Um, and uh, uh, so I've been following all these developments over the years. Uh and knowing that eventually uh, we will be sending humans up, uh, uh, I think Mars is much more uh, hospitable than Titan would ever be. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. Uh, and is closer to the sun also, so you will actually get sunlight, whereas Titan would get its light from mainly from Saturn. It's also, of course, in the solar system, but farther out. So the sun would probably look like a a large, a very large star, but uh, but a star, not uh, not the great thing that it is in our skies. Right.
0: Uh, Not in the Goldilocks belt. uh, They call it the Goldilocks belt. You know, I've always um, I've always taught my kids. You know when they talk about life uh, on on other planets. Uh, you know it, when when the society talks about life on other planets. And now clearly, I'm not talking about the the eight or nine. That's debatable now. Whether planet is uh, whether Pluto is a uh, planet or a, a dwarf planet, whatever you want to call. I, I grew up um, knowing that there were nine planets in our solar system and uh and Pluto was uh was, was legitimately one it, it only kept, uh, happened later in life that um that it was diminished uh Pluto
1: it oh, uh, was very recent that they uh they figured out that uh there were Titan for instance I think is twice the planet that that pluto yeah that Pluto is uh so. Uh, yeah, and that discovery hasn't been too long. After several years, maybe, yeah, maybe 20 years, we've known that. But, uh, but anyway, we keep we keep discovering things about our own solar system, and naturally, with all of these uh, really wonderful new telescopes, um, we are discovering things about farther sp- uh, farther space, um, outer space. Uh, with the light that has been coming to us for millions of years billions of years um, uh, and if we don't know what's happened what's happening right now because uh, what we're looking at is something that happened a billion years ago right which is uh, amazing to me
0: uh, uh, yeah. you know it, from it, you know uh, going back to this Goldilocks belt I, let me just explain for those who don't know. Um uh, they what they talk about, they talk about is, uh, for example, we, uh, or Earth. You know, uh, speaking globally here, um, Earth is close enough to the sun. It's just right. Uh, you know where, um, where for example, Mercury is too hot and uh, Pl- Pluto is mm-hmm. too cold. Um, you know, just like in the three bears, um, Earth is just right and uh we're close enough to the sun to sustain life. And right. I've always said to to my kids and again I'm certainly no astronomer and I'm no scientist but you know I have um the the one thought that I've uh that I've always uh, held on to is that there are I, and and I don't know what the count is now but uh tens of billions of stars that we could see in the sky tens of billions maybe it's hundreds of billions i i forget what the count is and how or what they think the count might be uh but out of those billions and billions of stars uh, i've got to believe that many of them and and some scientists believe even half of them have uh, planets close enough to them pieces of rock close enough to them and not too far from those uh those Stars, which again, our as you put it before, our our sun is a star, and uh, out of all of those stars in the sky, I've got to believe that uh, that you know at least millions, if not billions, of them are close enough to a uh, a piece of rock as we are uh, to uh, to our sun to sustain life and Mm -hmm. uh and i i'd have to believe that there are either creatures like us or uh, other type of creatures on millions and millions of places now that doesn't mean to say that i believe that they've gotten here somehow you know uh that's a whole other that's a whole other subject whether they can get here or not now you grew up not far from uh roswell and uh and everybody i ever talked to that's that's really looked into Roswell, uh, told me that the, um, that the government has doubled back on what they initially said. So, uh, I, you know, I always felt that there was something the government was keeping, uh, from us, but, uh, that would, we'd need a whole show to go, go into that. But it is fascinating to me that, um, that, uh, there are still people in, uh, in this world who don't believe that there could be, life anywhere else other than earth uh not when you see those billions and billions of stars in the sky will you ever convince me that there's not life out there uh, i just don't know that we can get to well i know we can't get to it but i don't know that they can get to us
1: right yes well uh i agree with you <laughs> completely yeah. there has to be something uh uh, there have to be civilizations. There have to be creatures out there who may be far, far more advanced than we are. Uh, and oddly enough, uh, all, all life—I'm sorry—all life on this planet is set so that it devours and destroys something else uh, for its sustenance. So even plants. Um, are devouring other creatures as they as they grow and prosper, and as you go up the scale from plant life to uh, well, all life, every single f- um, level of life is fixed so that it w- has to destroy some other uh, living thing in order to continue living, and so the whole planet is uh, is planned on uh, devouring something else. Um, and uh, this is also true of human beings. We can't live without uh, killing animals and eating them and uh, cutting down and devouring plants. Uh, that's the way we are. And we are fixed so that we cannot stop war. Right. We are aggressive, and we have to do that, and it's in our very basic makeup because that's how the planet works. Uh, so we destroy uh, other other creatures on Earth in order to survive. Uh, we devour them, then we uh, excrete them, and then they go into the soil. This is the way it's supposed to be, and then they are resurrected, <laughs> As more plants uh, and more uh, animals of various levels, uh, maybe bacteria uh, and uh, amoebas and so on, and viruses even. Uh, uh, but then uh, uh, slowly they uh, evolve into, uh, in the natural cycle of things, into human beings who continue this cycle going round and round. And that's the way this planet. Has been from the beginning it has been uh, read in tooth and claw <laughs> yeah and uh, uh, and so I don't know whether we can ever get away from war but there must be some civilization somewhere else that don't have to do that, <laughs> that Yeah. that can exist with a different plan of how to perpetuate themselves I, I, so, I, so anyway, there must be all kinds of civilizations and and creatures out there uh, that we may, sometime in the future, come in contact with. And Roswell may be an instance of the of exploration by one of these civilizations that failed uh, and that crashed. Um, And they may be doing it all the time. You never know. We may be under surveillance. um, Yeah. Because the government itself has now uh, uh, acquiesced to the idea that there are UFOs that uh, are unexplained and unidentified objects out there. But they still tend to poo-poo the whole thing anyway.
0: Yeah, but they are getting closer to admitting, um, uh, you know, proof-positive um, uh, they they've said i mean there's uh you know high government officials that have actually said that there there are things that uh, appear to be not from this world yeah and so anyway it's, uh, listen that's a subject for another day and a fascinating one that uh, that I'd love to hear you tackle uh, uh that uh, that subject intelligently as as you always do <laughs> everything uh great job thought provoking as always and uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that Ted Cruz race, but, but you're absolutely <laughs> right. There's, uh, there's a bigger picture there and, uh, that, uh, that, that comes around. And, and as far as uh, bigger picture, uh, outer space is, uh, is, is clearly a bigger picture and uh, fascinating and a great combination of subjects. Uh, Doc, great job.
1: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> and, and to all of you, thank you very much for listening. We know you have a lot of options, and we uh, enjoy you with us. We uh, we hope you continue to listen and, and binge listen to, uh, to shows you've missed in the past. Uh, Frank McKay signing off for Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg, and we'll see you all next time on The Florence Weinberg Show.